podcast. I want to start by apologizing for the delay in releasing our latest episode. Um, I'm sure everyone's aware this time of year we have had a lot of fires and a lot of uh, issues <laughs> in California, so things have been a little hectic. Uh, my co-host Don has been uh, unavailable, um, so we've been having a hard time scheduling a time to record, but in any case, I wanted to record an episode um, without Don. Um, he's coming back next week, but there are a few issues that I wanted to talk about that have come up, and I wanted to make sure we record something and let you guys know what's actually going on, um, which is the main goal of, of this show. If anyone remembers, a couple weeks ago, there was a story that was put out all over the media about mass hysterectomies at ICE facilities. And that story spread like wildfire. So much so that there were people in the streets with bullhorns shouting at diners and protesting and causing all kinds of havoc and chaos based on the idea that ICE was essentially performing medical experiments on detainees in custody. And that story sounded absolutely horrendous. And if that was true, obviously there would be no excuse for that. I mean, that's border. I mean, that's absolutely criminal. It's medical malpractice. It's everything you can think of. So we didn't talk about that story right away because there were a few things that concerned me. And I didn't know what to believe at first. And I didn't want to talk about it without knowing all the facts and knowing exactly where that story came from and, and, and what the source was because, simply because it was such a serious story. So what I noticed is that story exploded on the, <laughs> everywhere in the media. It was on social media. It was on broadcast TV. It was everywhere you can think of. And then it kind of died, kind of faded away. And that surprised me. Because for such a, um, such a serious story, it just faded and it disappeared. So I started to do a little digging, started to do some research on my own. And I came across a couple stories that aren't being reported, which I think is very interesting. And we're going to post links to, to all these stories uh, in the show notes so you, you can read for yourself. Um, I'm not going to publish the links to the original stories only because the the stories that were written were so so poorly written that it was beyond propaganda. It was so incendiary and it was just filled with with nonsense that now that the truth is starting to come out, I think it's better to to start with the stories that have I've basically debunked those original stories. If you want to, you can research it. You know, you, you can read yourself. You can search. It's not hard to find. But one of the first stories I came across, believe it or not, was actually on the Washington Post. And this, was, this is on their website. You know, again, we'll link to this so you can read it. 
Um, but this was written September 22nd, 2020. Uh, the journalist was Nick Miroff. So just a side note, we all know the Washington Post isn't the uh, most friendly to the administration and to ICE, immigration in general. So I was kind of surprised that they wrote this. But in any case, this story talks about exactly what, what I'm talking about, the hysterectomies that were performed you know, at this detention center. Um, what it comes down to is there was a woman, Dawn Wooten. She filed a complaint last week. And I don't know exactly where she initially filed this complaint, but she may have gone to... There's a, there's a process in the federal government that's basically a whistleblower process. Um, so that's maybe where she had started with this. But in any case, it, it took a life of its own um, after, after she said that. So <laughs> as they looked into her claims, one of the things that, that stood out, Clark said hospital records show that Wooten's claims are demonstrably false. Now, what that means is <laughs> Heath Clark, an attorney for ERH Healthcare, which operates the Irwin County Hospital, right? So he is an attorney for the healthcare organization that runs the county hospital where these procedures are supposedly done. Because for anyone that's not familiar, you know, ICE doesn't have serious medical, serious medical facilities in their detention centers. And in fact, most jails don't either. Um, so it's, it's not actually in almost every case, if, if an inmate or a detainee in ICE custody needs a serious medical procedure or a serious, you know, dental procedure, um, as everything I've read tells me that ICE takes the detainees to an actual hospital, um, and to, you know, an actual dentist outside of the facility. So, you know, just the idea that there's some doctor in an ICE facility performing these, these hysterectomies is really hard to imagine just on its own because ICE doesn't really have the facilities to do that. So once you understand how the process works, you know that, okay, wait a minute, <laughs> they're saying that this happened, but there's really no system for it because ICE takes their inmates, their detainees to an outside hospital. So in order for this to have occurred, not only would you have had to have had collusion from ICE, you would have had to had collusion from an outside doctor at an outside public hospital, right? So that's that would be difficult to accomplish <laughs> in and of itself, right? But like I said, Heath Clark, he's the one saying that these records are demonstrably false. That was a quote in the story, in this Washington Post story. Um, so what he goes on to talk about, and I'm not going to read the article you know, verbatim, but I encourage you to read it. The, the bottom line is there were two cases of hysterectomies being performed at this hospital since 2017, right? So in the last three years, four years, basically, there were two, two cases of hysterectomies. And in the story, they talk about one of the cases. And in the story, they talk about um, Pauline Binham. And it says, Pauline Binham said that one of her fallopian tubes was removed without consent. 
Okay. That's what she said. Now, as it as they talk about this in the story, it says I get the impression that she may not have given consent because she may not have understood what was going on. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that Ice was wrong. They probably could have explained it to her better, but the story is essentially explains that she had extensive bleeding when they performed surgery. So the gist of this story makes it seem as though the removal of her fallopian tube was medically required. So that may not have been what she wanted. It may not have been what she understood was going to happen. But that's, at the end of the day, that's what happened. Um, you know, so I think everyone knows someone that went in for a medical procedure. And then once the procedure starts, the doctor finds, you know, some issue that has to be corrected. Um, but for this story, the, the idea of mass hysterectomies and mass medical experiments is, is simply not true. Um, it, it really seems like all of this started from this lady, Mrs. Wooten. She wrote a massive complaint. You know, she made statements in her complaint, basically saying that he's a uterus collector. It says, I know it's ugly. Is he collecting these things or something? Everybody he sees, he's taking all their uteruses out or he's taking their tubes out. Everybody he sees is what she said. That's not the case. They're, the Washington Post said they were able to find two, two women in the last three to four years that have had hysterectomies. And this is after... Several immigrant, immigrants' rights groups have looked at this. Um, there's also a, an Associated Press story that looked into this, and they found a similar thing. They found the same number of women. Medical records are, are not, easy to, to, not easy to hide, but they found the same number of women. They found the same records that the Washington Post did. They, they've seen the same records that these, excuse me, these immigrants, immigrant rights groups are finding. And this is a non-story, right? You know, there, there may, like I said, with the two women, you know, maybe they didn't understand what the process was. You know, maybe they were explained something different. You know, we don't know. And that information hasn't come out yet. But the, the firestorm that was created by this story was beyond belief. I mean, there were, there were literally people in the streets causing chaos because they truly believed that ICE was forcing hysterectomies on anyone they could find. And that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with in 2020. You have journalists, I, I, I use that term loosely, but we have journalists that are rushing to be first. They're rushing to get that story out. And what I think is even more sad is they're probably they're probably writing stories that they know are false right or they know may not be true or they know at the very least haven't been substantiated yet but they're doing it well we don't know what their their true motivation is but they're doing it because one maybe they're being told to maybe they want the ratings maybe they want the clicks maybe they want the attention or 
the worst possible scenario is that they're writing it to change public opinion. They're writing it to paint ice in a bad light. Or maybe they're writing it, you know, to harm, you know, President Trump. Who knows? But the idea that you have the media writing irresponsible stories, at the very least, should be very alarming to anybody. Right? Because the, one of the great things that we have in this country is freedom of the press. And the idea behind that was our press was supposed to keep the government in check. The press was supposed to be unbiased and was supposed to report on the news and keep the public informed. Right? But they're not doing that anymore. They're not writing legitimate stories. Right? You could have written this story a hundred different ways, saying... These allegations are unfounded. However, this lady made these statements. And that would have been a perfectly sensible way to write the story because it would be it would be a bad story and it would be a huge deal if this was actually true. But people didn't write that. People ran with this story as if it was true. They ran with this story as if it was confirmed, as if everything was true, as if there was proof. But none of it was true. None of it was. And where where is the correction, right? Where are the apologies, right? Why are these platforms not posting corrections on their websites, on the front page, saying we posted this story, which was absolutely horrendous, which caused people to essentially ride in the streets, but it was false. It was a lie. We, we lied to you. I haven't seen it. You know, the stories I am seeing are, believe it or not, like I said, the Washington Post, but... No one's really pushing the correction. They're just posting it because they can. Uh, there is another story, you know, National Review, which is generally pretty good. Um, you know, I think everyone knows they probably lean a little bit right, but they're certainly, I think, one of the more unbiased um, journalism sources out there. You know, they're, they're, certainly, they're certainly willing to call out the president on things that he does wrong. And... You know, I, I think <laughs> that's perfectly acceptable. You know, I don't want a news outlet that is only writing things that make the president look good or only writing things that make the president look bad, whatever it is. I want the truth, you know, and that's that's one of the reasons for this show. You know, we're not trying to make you believe what we're saying. We're just saying this is what we know. This is the best information we have. And go out there and research for yourself and be suspicious of everything you read. Because most of it is false. Most of it is meant to instill fear. Most of it is in most of it is written to to stir your emotions, to get you upset. And then by the time you calm down, by the time you realize that what you read a few days ago was false, there's some new story basically that contradicts everything that was written, you know, or there's another story that gets you upset about something else. And it's it's really frustrating. It, this is a really weird time for everybody because it it's so difficult to find accurate information about anything. And you know, even for someone like me and and Don, you know, we try to stay on top of things, at least in regards to you know immigration and and politics and things. But it, it's tough. It, it really is because you know most of most of the media is not on our side. And they write stories like this one. They write stories that are purposely inflammatory. And they don't care about the truth. They, they write those stories in hopes that you change your mind. 
they write those stories in hopes that you turn against ICE. Um, you know, maybe that you turn against the president. And I would rather have someone write a story that gives you the facts and let you decide. Why is it a journalist's responsibility to change your opinion? Why is it their duty to make you vote the way that they want you to vote? You know, why is it their duty to to make you believe a certain thing, right? They should be unbiased. They should be giving you the facts without their opinion. And, you know, there's a place for opinion on the opinion page. You know, as long as you're clear that you're writing an opinion piece, that's fine. You know, we need that. But most of these stories now that you're, you're writing or that you're reading, it's opinion masquerading, you know, as fact. Um, you know, and one of, the, one of the best descriptions about this hysterectomy story is the National Review. You know, and I encourage you, you know, no matter what you think, please, please check it out. Um, I'll post links to this also. And it, it goes through a lot of what I talked about. You know, what's good about this one is it, it quotes the complaint, and then it also provides information on, on why it was incorrect. Um, you know, one of the things that they talk about in the National Review story, which is really interesting, and I didn't, I even didn't think of initially, but government bureaucracy is mind-numbing at times. And everyone that we talk to has, has told us that you can't do anything in the government without 35 different levels of approval, right? And considering that ICE is going to, would have been spending a considerable amount of money to perform these medical procedures, it's really inconceivable that a doctor like that could have just been harvesting uteruses, as they were saying, because that's a huge procedure. There, there is so much bureaucracy, and there are so many checks and balances in place in particular in the immigration system, that it would have almost been impossible to do that. You know, and that was one of the things that caught my attention in some of these first stories was that, you know, nobody talked about that. No, they really essentially just said this doctor is on his own taking hysterectomies whenever he, or taking uteruses, excuse me, whenever he feels like it. And, and that is such a horrible thing to think about. The, the, the idea that that could have been happening was really horrendous. But... It wasn't true. <laughs> it absolutely wasn't true. And like I said, there, there are so many reasons why. Uh, you know, I want to talk, I want to dig into this National Review story, you know, a little bit. Um, there are a few things in this story that I, I think are very interesting. One of the things that no one else was going to talk about in any of the other publications is everyone likes to talk about, you know, Illegal aliens need their day in court. They need this protection. They need this. They need that. They need to see a judge, you know. And that's a whole other issue that, that I want to kind of touch on a little bit. But the idea that someone in the country illegally should be locked up for months or years on end really shouldn't even be a topic. And the reason is when you come into the country illegally, right? We're not talking about legal immigrants. We're talking about illegal immigrants, right? And I'm going to all break this down a little bit. But if you come into the country illegally, you have violated the law, right? Whether you overstay your visa or whether you come across the border, you know, without permission, crossing the border illegally is a crime. It's 8 U.S.C. 1325. 
which is either a misdemeanor or a felony, depending on, on how they charge it. If you re-enter illegally again after deportation, it's always a felony, 8 U.S.C. 1326. But the government doesn't always prosecute those cases. So for the most part, the government processes, these case, processes, processes immigration cases administratively. And what that means is you are entitled to a lot of different protections and you are not entitled to a speedy trial. You can delay your case almost indefinitely. And depending on the circumstances of your case, ICE may detain you, right? And what no one ever talks about, except for the National Review, is that when you drag your case out, you are choosing to do that. You are choosing to try to fight your case, even though you have no legal permission to be in the United States. Because the law doesn't say you get to come here whenever you feel like it and then try to figure out how to stay. So what really should be happening and the way to solve these medical problems, the way to, to prevent people from getting medical care they don't need or the way to keep the government from having to pay for medical care is to streamline the deportation process. Now this is pie in the sky stuff. And it'll probably never happen because Congress seems unwilling to do anything but give out amnesty. But you could fix this. You could fix this by saying, we're going to streamline the deportation process for people, well, for anyone, really, but you could start with people coming here illegally because one of the reasons that we're so overwhelmed is because people know that once you come across the border without papers, you may not get caught, number one, but two, even if you do, you can drag your case out for years at least, and that's what people depend on. And they, most people know that if they can drag their case out for 10 years, they have a real good chance of being able to stay in the country. And that's the scam. That's what people try to do. But what the National Review talks about is you could fix that. You could change the process. Now, they don't really get into specifics on how to change it, but you could. Because here's the way the process could go. Once an alien is arrested by an immigration officer, whether it's Border Patrol or ICE or you know a CBP officer, you could put them in front of a judge, which I don't even think is necessary. I think there should be another process that doesn't require a judge. Because... When you arrest someone for being here illegally, it's administrative, right? And that means a lot of different things. But the idea that you have to put someone in front of a judge who entered the U.S. illegally is, is really, it, it's a lot of things, but it's counterproductive. And the process could be something like this. When someone goes in front of a deciding official or a judge or whatever it's going to be, you could ask them a couple questions and be done with it. You could ask someone, where are you from? What country were you born in? What country are you a citizen of? And once you get your answer, you could ask, you could affirm, you could say, are you a U.S. citizen or you, do you believe that you have any reason to claim U.S. citizenship? And if they say no, okay. So you're a citizen of a foreign country. You don't believe you have or are entitled to uh, U.S. citizenship. How did you come into the country? And they're going to say, well, I came in illegally. I crossed the border, whatever it was. Okay. Did you cross with a visa? No. Okay. That's it. End of story. See you later. Because that's all you need, right? You don't get to come across the border and then try to fight your case. That, that's, that shouldn't be a thing. And it's the same thing as if someone were to break into your house, right? When the cops come and they find that someone is in your house that doesn't belong there, they don't let them stay there until they see a judge. 
they remove that person from your house, right? Now, on the off chance that that person actually is entitled to be in that house, then they can go back. But are we really going to go down the path of saying you can break the law and then continue to break the law until a judge determines that you're not breaking the law, right? And that's a little different thing than someone who's actually committed a crime at a particular point in time, right? If you think about it, when someone gets arrested for, say, stealing a car or firing a weapon or assaulting someone, that crime has already happened, right? And you can't undo it. The crime has already happened. But with immigration, or like my example of someone being in your house, the idea that someone is here illegally means that they have no legal authorization to be in the United States, right? It's very easy to prove, right? You can run that check. You can run those databases within 15 or 20 minutes. You can run fingerprints. You can check photograph databases. There are all kinds of ways to, to determine that. And once you have that person sitting in front of you, it's very easy to determine where they're from and what their immigration status is simply because you can ask them, right? You can run all the database checks that ICE has. You can run fingerprints. You can run everything. And when you're all done with that, when someone's in front of you, you can say, this is what I found. Is any of this untrue? And if they try to make a claim that it's not, well, then you can investigate it at that time. And there's also something interesting. It's 8 U.S.C. 911, which is a law regarding false claim to U.S. citizenship. Now, the, the law states that in order to make a false claim, it has to be, you know, for a benefit. So the, the jury is still out on what a benefit actually means, and ICE doesn't prosecute everyone on the false claim to being a U.S. citizen because it is kind of a difficult process. But again, from the people that we've talked to, the process is something fairly simple in that if someone claims to be a U.S. citizen, there's an actual sworn statement that they would give that alien. And basically, it's taken by a federal officer, and it's a series of questions, you know, saying, you're essentially, where were you born? What's your date of birth? You know, asking him a lot of identifiable questions, right? And what happens is you take that sworn statement, and the person in front of you affirms that all of that is true. So... Once you take that statement, once they physically admit or once they state on a sworn record that they're a citizen, then they can generally be prosecuted. I mean, there's more to it than that, but just to keep it simple, that's kind of how the process works. But the point to all that is it is almost impossible for someone to be a U.S. citizen without some form of record, right? You know, if you're an adult, right, generally ICE doesn't arrest and try to remove, you know, young children. It does happen, but it, it's not something ICE likes to do simply because there are a lot of issues about putting children, you know, back in a foreign country, you know, but that's another story for another day. But let's just focus on adults. So if you are 18 or above and you are claiming to be a U.S. citizen, that would be easy to find, right? Because you would have a social, every, every person born now has a social security number issued to them at birth right? They would have driver's licenses. There would be some record. So there would be something you could find to prove that someone is a U.S. citizen. Now, I realize that there probably are people out there that are completely off the grid 
and have no record of anything. But how many people are there really in the United States that are legitimate citizens that don't have any kind of record, right? So the number of people that would be unable to be located but are actually U.S. citizens, and I'm talking about no birth record, no birth certificate, no social security number, you know, those people probably don't exist. But if they do, you know, there, there are systems to deal with it. But where I'm going with this is the idea that it takes all this time to investigate and determine whether an illegal alien can stay in the country is, is really just ridiculous. There, there's no need for it. And had, had we had improvements to our immigration system when we needed them, which was probably 20 or 30 years ago, and had we streamlined this process, we wouldn't be dealing with, you know, these claims of children in cages, and we wouldn't be dealing with, you know, women getting medical procedures that maybe they didn't need or whatever the issue is, right? If you were in the country illegally, you should be deported as quickly as possible. And I believe you should stay in custody, right? The ACLU sues ICE over that all the time. So <laughs> there are a lot of court cases pending on that. And it goes back and forth. You know, there are times when ICE can hold people longer and there are times when ICE gets sued and then they have to release people within a certain amount of time. And that, that's the game that's played constantly. But, you know, for anyone that thinks that people get arrested by ICE and are deported the next day, that's, there aren't that many people that that happens to. And the only people really that are deported the same day or the following day are people that have already been deported previously and are from Canada or Mexico because ICE can actually physically take those people to the border. They can take them to the port, and they can actually send them back at an actual port of entry. But that's only because Canada and Mexico border the United States. So for anyone else, you know, any other alien that has been deported before, that's even a lengthy process, because depending on where they're from, ICE has to arrange travel. They have to arrange generally a flight, and sometimes ICE has its own you know, aircraft that it uses. But if it's someone from a, a faraway country, generally what will happen is ICE has to send a couple officers on a flight with that alien, and they have to ensure that they get physically accepted into, you know, their home country. So it's a lengthy process, um, and that's even for someone who's been deported before, you know. But it's, you know, people talk about immigration reform, and they talk about, you know, changing the system, but they don't really understand what the system is. And because the system is so bogged down, the system is so overwhelmed, you have stories like this. You have the possibility of people being in custody for a long time, and now they need medical care. And in fact, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of aliens that ICE supervises that have very, very serious medical conditions. And ICE isn't going to deport someone that has, you know, cancer or is, you know, on their deathbed. That's not going to happen. But their medical care still has to be paid for. And who pays for it? <laughs> Either the government pays for it or, you know, the tax... Well, ultimately, the taxpayers all pay for it. But, you know, if they're in ICE custody, well, then the federal government pays the bill. And if they're released from custody on supervision, then the local state or the county or the city, wherever it is, they end up paying for that extensive medical care you know, whether it be cancer or, you know, organ transplant or whatever it is, it's the taxpayers are on the hook for that. And for someone who's in the country illegally or has been deported before, there's a real good chance that they're not working, especially if they're sick, right? 
or they've never, maybe they never paid into the system. You know, if you're here illegally, you're not paying taxes, right? Because you can't legally work. So that's, again, another symptom of the immigration system that doesn't function properly. And, you know, the research that, that we've done, I don't know that any other country has a problem with illegal immigration like we do. But I think it's because most other countries actually enforce their laws. You know, you can't just go to another country illegally and just expect to stay. You know, of all the countries that I, I've researched, and I'm not going to pretend to say I know the immigration laws of, of every country on the planet, but of the ones that I've researched, the process is very much streamlined compared to what we have in the United States. You know, you don't, you don't get to go to New Zealand or Australia or anywhere in Europe, really, and just expect to stay. You don't expect to fight your case, right? They, they deal with illegal aliens much differently, and the process is, is much faster. And I don't understand why no one is talking about that. Well, <laughs> I think I do understand, but it's, it gets into the conspiracy theory and it gets into the, the cynical you know, part of it. But from an objective standpoint, I don't know why no one is talking about that. Why are we not saying we need to streamline the process? Because everyone always talks about streamlining the process of getting people in, but they never talk about streamlining it the other way. And to be fair, I would be totally in favor of streamlining the process for people to come into the country legally, right? But we also have to work on the back end. We have to enforce the laws that are on the books. We have to ensure that people that get deported are actually removed from the country. We have to ensure that we can control the amount of people that come into the country and we have to be able to document the people that leave. Because, again, I know we harp on it all the time, but not controlling your immigration system creates so many other problems. You know, and I know we talk about 9-11 a lot, but I don't want anyone to forget that. The 9-11 hijackers, again, if you haven't listened to our previous shows, some of the 9-11 hijackers overstayed their visas, or they were here on student visas, or, you know, whatever it was, but think about had you deported even half of them, right? If you deported the ones that you could deport, maybe 9-11 wouldn't have occurred, right? And you can argue that 9-11 is a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. Yeah, maybe. But look at what happened because of our failure to enforce our immigration law. And look what happened because we failed to communicate between different law enforcement agencies Thousands of people died instantly when those planes crashed, right? Thousands more died after 9-11 because they got cancer from cleaning up, you know. Think about the wars that were started because of 9-11, right? Think about all that. Think about all the innocent people, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and all those other countries, right? Think how the world changed because of 9-11. And 9-11 could have been prevented had we enforced our immigration laws. But we chose not to. We chose to ignore it. We chose to take the easy way out. And I don't want to see that happen again. And that, that's one of the big issues, one of the big reasons that we wanted to do this show is, you know, there is a lot of crime caused by illegal aliens, right? And even if you don't believe that illegal aliens commit crime, which we can prove that that's not true, but let's put that aside for a minute. 
when you have people that want to do the United States harm, how easy is it for someone to come into the country and just hide? You know, how easy is it for someone to come in and group up, right, and cause all kinds of chaos? They did it before. And if you don't think that someone out there is trying to do it again, well, you're simply, you're wrong because it's happening and it will happen again. And I don't want to see it happen again. And you're not going to prevent, you know, every crime. But why not do everything you can to, to prevent it, right? You know, it's almost as if you say, well, most people's houses don't get broken into. Most people don't get, you know, their house invaded in the middle of the night. Okay, well, that's fine. If you believe that, then start leaving your door open at night, right? Start leaving your car unlocked. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's see what happens, right? Do you, how much do you trust that idea that, eh, it probably won't happen, so I'm going to leave my door open, right? I'm going to leave my car unlocked, right? I'm going to leave my car unlocked tonight in the driveway because the chance of that happening is slim to none. Well, you're probably not going to do that. You're going to take every precaution you can to prevent your home from being invaded, or to prevent your car from being stolen. And that being said, I want to talk about this story from, this is from the Washington Examiner. And again, we'll, uh, we'll publish the show notes so you guys can read this. Uh, you know, I, I also want to caution you guys, you know, when we publish these stories and we talk about them, there are some of these sites that a lot of people tend to think are kind of right-leaning. And some of them are. But what I want you to focus on is what they actually say in the story. Because we try to focus on the facts and we focus on the, the hard details of the story. You know, we're not interested in, in people's opinions so much. You know, we like to, to focus on the actual meat and the, hard, and, the, and the facts of the story. So that being said, again, this story from the Washington Examiner is a little bit older. But it kind of proves my point. And there are a lot of stories like this. But, you know, some of these sheriffs at least in California, they want to cooperate with ICE. But for anyone that's not familiar, ICE passed, or excuse me, California passed a law, SB 54, which <laughs> almost totally eliminates the possibility of local jails communicating, you know, with ICE when it comes to illegal aliens. And that, <laughs> that same scenario is partly what caused 9-11, that lack of communication between local jails and it was INS at the time, but immigration officers. So this story talks about Orange County, which is in California, which is a, a fairly small county, but, you know, still Southern California. But the numbers that came out of Orange County show that 2,000 illegal aliens were released from custody in recent years. So 2,000 illegal aliens were released from custody in Orange County in the last few years. And 400 of them reoffended in that same county, right? So those are numbers, right? You can't argue with that. And I did see an interview with Don Barnes, and he talked about the reoffenses. And it wasn't just, you know, simple stuff. A lot of those 400 illegal aliens that re-offended, they re-offended multiple times. 
and a lot of their crimes were fairly severe. Stolen vehicles, burglary, assaults. You know, there were a few sexual assaults in there. So think about that, right? You have 2,000 illegal aliens that committed a crime, that got arrested, and then were released. And 400 of them reoffended. Now, the way that works, and the reason this is a massive problem, is in California, ICE officers generally aren't inside the jails the way that they used to be under President Bush. When you have an ICE officer inside your jail, you have the ability to screen all the inmates that come into the jail. And usually, in the past, it had always been that there were multiple officers inside the jail, or even, in some cases, ICE had deputized some of the, the, the jail staff to actually assist them in their job. And they would question all the inmates to find out where they were born, to find out their immigration status, and they would get referred to ICE for pickup at a later date. Now, when you allow ICE to function inside the jail, they're able to screen every inmate, right? They're able to do their database checks. They're able to figure out who the inmate is and where they're from. You can run fingerprints, right? You can actually check all the databases while they're in custody. So it actually makes more sense to allow ICE into the jail because they can do their checks at the time when the person is in custody. And it actually creates less of a problem because now you get less false positives. You're able to interview inmates. You're able to actually determine what's what someone's immigration status is more thoroughly than you can from the outside. But California doesn't care about enforcing the law. California cares about protecting illegal aliens. And it's inevitable that something bad is going to happen. There have been plenty of stories that we try to talk about, you know, of, of horrendous crimes being committed in California. And sadly, they go unnoticed. You know, it, unfortunately, it's everyone just assumes that Kate Steinle was the only one that ever was killed by an illegal alien, and that's simply not true. Um, another story that gets ignored, you know, is Jamil Shaw. We like to talk about him a lot, but nobody knows who he is. You know, and just for reference, Jamil Shaw was a young, a young man. I believe he was 17 at the time, and he was walking home from school in Los Angeles, and he was murdered in cold blood for no reason other than either because he was black or because he had the wrong color backpack. And I say that because the person that killed him was a Hispanic gang member that was just released from the L.A. County Jail, and ICE had tried to detain that person, and L.A. County didn't want to cooperate. L.A. County didn't want to turn that criminal gang member, illegal alien, over to ICE. And L.A. County has always been somewhat combative with ICE, and they've gone back and forth over the years of cooperating and not cooperating and, and everything else. But when you have a criminal gang member that's an, also an illegal alien, wouldn't you want to turn him over to ICE? Wouldn't you want to get him out of your city? Because I don't think there's anybody that has half a brain that's going to say, oh yes, we want more gang members out on the street. You know, we spend an enormous amount of money trying to fight gangs and, and stop them. But yet, you have an opportunity to remove some gang members from your city, from your county. And now California doesn't even want to do that.
right? But nobody knows who Jamil Shaw is outside of the people that are opposed to illegal immigration. And everybody should know who Jamil Shaw is, right? There should be people protesting in the streets with signs saying, say his name, right? Because his death was 100% preventable and absolutely 100% unnecessary and <laughs> inexcusable, right? Any, any term you want to use, it fits. Because Jamil Shaw was not in a gang. Jamil Shaw was a good student. He was a football player. He came from a good family, right? His mom at the time was serving in the military. And his father has been pretty outspoken. You know, his father has, has given a lot of interviews. His father actually met with President Trump. But he doesn't get the screen time that other people do. And compare Jamil Shaw to the story about ICE hysterectomies. Every news outlet in the country ran with that story. It exploded, and people were protesting in the streets over the idea that ICE is forcing hysterectomies on people. And that wasn't true. That was a false story. But it spread like wildfire. But why isn't Jamil Shaw being being recognized like that. His story should spread like wildfire, right? All the other people that were killed needlessly should, <laughs> their story should be spreading like wildfire, but they're not. Just the same way the media doesn't talk about how the 9-11 hijackers were in the country illegally, right? So we're ignoring the terrorism aspect of it. We're ignoring the crime aspect of it, right? Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about all the negative impact of illegal immigration, right? But they vote when they see a story about hysterectomies, they don't even question it. It's just, oh, this is true. This is horrible. You know, some of the stories that I read essentially were comparing ICE and the ICE facilities to, you know, concentration camps. And there are plenty of people on the street now that think that ICE is the reincarnation of the SS you know, they, they really think that ICE and the people that work for ICE and Border Patrol are just Nazis. They, they really believe that. And they don't understand what ICE does. They don't understand at all. And the sad part is, there's a large percentage of the ICE workforce that is Hispanic and black and Asian and everything else. And I don't like to break things down by, by race or color or any of that stuff. You know... I think everyone should be treated equally. I think everyone, you know, everyone starts equal. Everyone should be treated equally. And your race and your gender is, is who you are, but you shouldn't be treated any better or any worse because of it. You know, everyone should be, be treated equally and, and given the same opportunity. But, you know, to listen to some of these, these stories and to listen to these people on social media, you'd think that every ICE officer is blonde hair, blue-eyed, and just looking for anyone that's not the same. And it, they make it seem as though ICE is just down the street looking for people that have dark skin and dark eyes and dark hair. Well, there's another one. Let's go get them. And there are some people that believe that. And I don't think it's that many, but it's enough to cause a lot of problems. It's enough to cause a lot of chaos. And that's, that's the narrative that people run with. And I... It's really frustrating for someone that's done a lot of research on this, you know, and I know Don would say the same thing. You know, Don started off pretty liberal, 
I'm pretty unconcerned about illegal immigration, you know, and then his son was killed. And, you know, Donna said it before, he doesn't, he doesn't think that the person that killed his son, Drew, you know, meant to do it. And I, from what he said, I don't think so. You know, I think it was a really horrible accident, but it's a symptom of allowing uncontrolled illegal immigration because the person that killed Drew should have never been in the country. The person that, that killed Jamil Shaw should have never been in the country. They should have been deported. The 9-11 hijackers, you know, some of them were here legally, and that's hard to stop. But some of them weren't, and they should have never been here either. And that's why we want to talk about this stuff. We want people to understand. We want you to have the right frame of mind. And when you read stories about, you know, ice given hysterectomies or whatever it may be, you got to question it. you got to question where it's coming from. You have to question what the motivations are. Because, again, if it's true, it's absolutely horrible, and whoever did it should be prosecuted. But you also have to understand that there are a lot of states and a lot of governors and a lot of people in Washington that don't want the law enforced, right? And ICE has been trying to publish it. ICE has been trying to tell people, this is what's happening, right? This is what's going on. You know, ICE even tried, sadly, you know, they, they tried to do a citizen's academy not to have normal people go out and arrest illegal aliens, but they tried to educate people and to say, hey, this is what the ICE mission is. This is what ICE does. This is what the reality is on the street. And as last I checked, I believe they've kind of put that program on the back burner because there was another group that got involved and essentially overwhelmed the program with fake applications. And the story that I was reading about that, essentially, it, it, it said that the people applying for the, the Citizens Academy were basically making comments like, I want to be a jackbooted thug. You know, can I go round up, you know, insert racial pejorative here? You know, so the, the people that were applying had the perspective of ICE is going to deputize normal people and put them on the street to go round up minorities. You know, that's what they think. And it's, it's really sad that we've gotten to that point that people aren't even willing to, they're not even willing to consider that their opinion or their beliefs might not be correct. You know, and one of, one of the things that Donna and I like to focus on with this show is we want to provide you the numbers. We want you to read the stories. We want you to read the law, right? We don't want you just to believe what we say because we say it, you know. I think Don is a good example, and he's he said it before, that, you know, he's he was a pretty far-left liberal, you know, but now, at least on immigration, <laughs> he tends to lean conservative, and he's been, he's someone that is very skeptical of everything he reads, but everything that he's researched and everything that I've researched takes you down that path of, once you see the numbers, once you see the actual reality of, of what's going on, you really have to change your opinion, because you, you can't believe the platitudes. You can't believe the narratives that the media wants you to believe. You can't believe the narratives of, 
a lot of these politicians, you know, and speaking of that, Trump hasn't done himself too many favors when he talks about immigration. You know, I, I really wish that he would explain it better. I wish that maybe he had someone that would explain it better for him. And I wish that media would listen because unfortunately Trump has a way of speaking that's very high level. It's very broad and it leaves people's imaginations <laughs> to kind of interpret what he means. And then people end up arguing over the semantics of what he said as opposed to the, the content, right? You know, and it's, he, he's not doing anybody any favors because he's on the right side. He's appointing the right people. He's doing things the right way because he's trying to ensure that our immigration system functions the way it was supposed to. You know, and what I mean by that is he's trying to ensure that the people that come into the country come here legally, right? We're not, he doesn't want to tolerate uncontrolled illegal immigration. And that's the way to do it. You have to punish the people that break the law. And you have to reward the people that are willing to follow the law. You know, and I know we've talked about it before, but for anyone that doesn't really understand that concept, I want everyone to, to really be clear and really understand that, you know, we have a system to allow refugees and we have a system to allow, you know, asylum claims. But the numbers about asylum claims show that the majority of those claims, it, it's something like 80 to 90%, the majority of those claims are not deemed legitimate. And the reason that it's that way is because in the past, once you got to the border and you said, I'm afraid of going back, you got let into the country and you disappeared. So the entire world and the smugglers know that when you come to the border, you just claim asylum and you get let in and then you disappear. And that's the way it's been for years. And that's why the, the asylum process is being overwhelmed, right? So there are legitimate asylum claims, there's no doubt. But what everyone needs to understand about that, and I, I, we've talked about this before, so I don't want to go too deep into it, but for anyone in a foreign country that is in legitimate fear of their life and legitimate fear of prosecution, they have every right to go to an American embassy or an American consulate in their country or in another country and file their asylum claims or refugee claim, you know, at the embassy, at the, at the American consulate, right? And that process is generally low cost or free, you know, depending on your, your circumstance, but you can start that process at an American embassy and almost every country has at least one embassy or consulate, sometimes more than one, you know, I know Mexico is a big country. There's an embassy in Mexico City and there is a consulate, I believe, in Tijuana, right? So you have you have an embassy in southern Mexico and you have a, a consulate in northern Mexico, you know, almost at the border. So, you know, again, for people that are coming from Central America, why, you have to ask yourself, why are they coming here and claiming asylum at the border, right? Why aren't they claiming asylum in their country at an American embassy? Or if they have to flee the country because they're in legitimate fear, why are they not claiming asylum at the next closest country, right? They could go to the American embassy, you know, somewhere in another country in Central America or South America, right? And also, too, this is <laughs> another issue. 
is if you are in legitimate fear of your life in your own country, how come America is the only place you have to go, right? You can absolutely claim asylum or refugee status in pretty much every other country. Now, obviously, some countries are more violent, so you're not going to go there. But you got to ask yourself, why does everyone on the planet try to come to the United States and claim asylum? Why aren't they claiming asylum in a neighboring country? Right? Well, the answer is, and we all know, because our immigration system is too easy to exploit. And, again, getting back to the terrorism part of it, if someone in Central America knows how to work the system, you better believe that a terrorist that is willing to die for their cause absolutely knows how to exploit that system. So, why are we allowing this to continue, right? Why are we allowing our system to get overwhelmed, right? Why are we not fixing this? You know, all of the issues that, that were brought up in the 9-11 Commission Report, they, they talked about this. They talk about lack of communication. They talk about lack of enforcement, right? I mean, there were a lot of things that were in the report, but when it comes to immigration, you know, in a sense, we're almost worse than we were on September 10th. Because on September 10th, nobody was protecting illegal aliens, right? I mean, there were a few counties that didn't cooperate, but not enough to really be of concern. But 20 years later, you have entire states now, California, New York, you know, you have major cities like Chicago that don't want to cooperate with ICE. And it's not, don't think for a minute that ICE is preventing, or I should say California is just saying, we're not going to allow our police officers to enforce immigration law. That was never the case. But the local police, the local sheriffs did communicate and cooperate with ICE the same way they do with any other law enforcement agency when they come across a crime related to another agency, right? So what's happening now is you have entire states like California saying, you cannot communicate, you cannot cooperate, you cannot even look at an ICE officer. If you do, you'll be in violation of state law. And that's a whole other issue, right? Because now you have the state actually protecting illegal aliens, which is another violation of law because the states have no authority to enforce or enact their own immigration laws, which is essentially what they're doing, right? They're saying you have to rise to a certain level of criminal history before we allow immigration to talk to you. And even then, we're still going to put up roadblocks to possibly prevent ICE from getting in touch with someone who's in custody who may be an illegal alien, right? We'll get into that on, on another show because there's a lot that goes into that. But, you know, just know that we talk to a lot of people that, that do work in California. And they tell us horror stories of all the roadblocks that ICE has tried, or excuse me, that California has put up to try to stop ICE from doing its job. But, you know, for anyone that questions sanctuary policy and I want you to read 8 USC 1324 right just google it it's out there but I'll, I'll put a link again in the show notes but google 8 USC 1324 and read the law and it relates to harboring aiding and abetting or shielding from detection so that's federal law right and according to the constitution federal law reigns supreme right and over the years, there have been many court cases where the courts have ruled that immigration is a federal issue. And I would agree. Immigration is a federal issue because 
you're dealing with federal immigration law. You're dealing with citizenship. The federal government has the only authority to grant citizenship and immigration visas and any other immigration status. You can't immigrate to California. You can't be a citizen of California or you can't be a citizen of Chicago or New York or whatever. You are an American citizen and you are a resident of a particular state. So, therefore, the federal government has a sole authority to enforce immigration law. But you cannot have a state enacting a law that prohibits the federal government from enforcing the law. And now the states like to say, well, we're not stopping ICE. Well, that's true, except that the way ICE functions and the way ICE wants to, to do their job is ICE wants to focus on the people that are in custody that are committing crimes, right? Because you have someone who's already committed a crime, who's in custody, right? So if you had to focus on arresting illegal aliens, where would you focus, right? Are you going to focus on the guy on the street that may not have a criminal history? Or are you going to focus on the people that have been arrested, that have criminal records, that you know who they are, right? Because with all the hysteria over ICE, you have all these groups and states and everything else telling illegal aliens how to avoid ICE detection and how to get out of an ICE arrest. Everyone is making it very difficult for ICE to do its job. And now you have the state of California, New York and Illinois, and I know there are other ones, you know, I think uh, Massachusetts is working on a, a sanctuary law. I think Virginia has one in, in process, too. And there are a lot of cities and a lot of jurisdictions within those states that have their own, you know, sanctuary policies. But, again, why are they trying to block ICE? Why are they trying to interfere with federal law? Because if everybody remembers, when Arizona started to pass its immigration laws, the argument was, that's a federal issue. The states can't enforce federal law. Okay, well, Arizona wasn't necessarily enforcing federal law. They were simply enacting laws that encouraged and sometimes required cooperation of state law enforcement with the federal government. Now, I realize that can be taken to the extreme, but the argument against that was immigration is a federal issue. But now all of a sudden, when you have states blocking ICE officers from doing their job, now it's a state's rights issue. Well, which is it? <laughs> I know the answer. It's not a state's rights issue, because the Tenth Amendment talks about rights not enumerated to the federal government can be, or I should say laws not enumerated by the federal government can be enacted by the states, right? So if the federal government doesn't have a law on a particular subject, then the states are essentially free to enact their own laws on that particular subject, provided it doesn't interfere or contradict federal law. That's what the Tenth Amendment means. Now, I know we could probably get into an argument over <laughs> the minutiae of it, but in a sense, that's what it is. And that's where the separation of powers comes into play. You know, the the individual states aren't responsible for defense of the country. The individual states can't enact international trade pacts. You know, there are certain things that the states can't do because those duties fall on the federal government. And immigration is no different. Immigration is, is clearly a federal issue and has been ruled a federal issue many times over. You know, it's not hard to find those cases. Um, but, you know, when it comes to sanctuary policy, for some reason... 
the states can block immigration enforcement. You know, and one of the things that California does is they have a thing where if an ICE officer wants to talk to an inmate in custody, the state agency has to provide the alien with a document that is essentially a Miranda warning saying you don't have to talk to ICE. And if you don't want to talk to ICE, you just sign this paper and then ICE can't talk to you. Right? That is questionable at best. Because if that alien signs that paper, now ICE is prevented from talking to that person. So now I would argue that that's being shielded from detection. Right? Why is the state interfering with that process? Right? Why does the state not want ICE to do its job? It's not about prevent again, it's not about preventing local law enforcement from enforcing immigration law. They've gone so far off the deep end that now local law enforcement is actually acting as a roadblock for the federal government. And it's it sounds crazy to say, and it's beyond belief to a lot of people that that's actually happening, but it's absolutely true, and it happens every day. And it happens in a lot of other states and a lot of other cities. You know, Chicago, obviously, is infamous. New York is another one. You know, it's, I think Boston is going that way. You know, again, some cities in Virginia, everybody, every state and every city kind of has their own little tweaks to how they interfere with ICE. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's illegal and it's against the law and it causes problems. And those problems aren't reported in the media. You know, those problems aren't things that people want to talk about. And when you do talk about them, you get shouted down. You get told you're a racist. You get told you're a xenophobe, right? And it's it's really frustrating for someone that wants to, to educate themselves and for someone who wants to be unbiased, right? For someone who doesn't want to be told what to think, it's really frustrating to have to listen to all that because it's hard to know the truth. It's hard to know what to believe. It's hard to know where to go to get the actual truth, and it's hard to know where to actually find the law because nobody reports on it. And the outlets that do aren't very mainstream. There aren't really many places that people know of that report accurately on immigration. You know, Fox does a pretty good job. However, sometimes they don't report very thoroughly. You know, they don't give you the full story or they don't give you the resources to actually research for yourself. I think Fox, you know, they're obviously leaning right. They're pretty good, but they don't they don't give you the the they don't give you the inf- the resources to to research the story on your own. You know, they they tend to kind of write sensational headlines sometimes. They're pretty good and they're better than most other outlets, but you know, even even Fox isn't as good as they could be. So that's kind of the point of today's show. And, you know, I think for anyone out there that's listening, you know, some of these stories get repetitive. And the reason that we repeat a lot of the same themes is because we want to reinforce the idea that, you know, the immigration laws are being violated daily. And it's not talked about. 
And we don't want people to think that the only person ever been killed by an illegal alien was Kate Steinle. And for it, as horrendous as that was, there are thousands of people that are killed every year, and their stories go unnoticed. So the reason for the re repetition is that we want you to understand that this isn't these aren't isolated cases, right? This happens all the time. It happens all over the place. And we want to highlight those cases. We want you to be aware of what's actually happening. And, you know, more importantly, the reason I started with the hysterectomy story was I want you to understand that the, the media isn't your friend, right? They're not giving you stories to educate you. They're giving you stories to inflame you, to make you angry, right? At the very least, at worst, they're trying to cause an insurrection. And judging by the violence that came from that hysterectomy story, I think they're probably doing a pretty good job. You know, I think they're causing a lot of problems. I, I think that they're really inciting, they're inciting riots, and they're doing it with stories that aren't true. You know, it's so like I said, we're going to, I'm going to post the stories, and he actually even there's a, a story on Snopes <laughs> that even talks about it. But just think about that for a minute. Think about if you heard that story, you were probably outraged, as you should have been. But pay attention to how that, how that cycled through the media, right? For a couple days, everything that was talked about was ISIS running concentration camps, ISIS forcing hysterectomies, ISIS running experiments on, you know, immigrant women. You know, that, that was the headline, and, and people were in the streets repeating it. And then after a couple days, another story came up, and now people got upset about the next story, and that hysterectomy story was forgotten about. And nobody corrected it. You know, like I said, I was surprised that the Washington Post <laughs> even published that story. But, you know, for the Washington Post to publish a, publish a story that contradicts something like that is, is pretty remarkable. Um, but the correction and the correct story didn't get nearly as much play as, as the first story did. And we've covered stories like that in the past, and there will be stories like that in the future. You know, so we want you to we want you to understand what's happening. We want you to be able to find the truth, and we want you to, to think critically about everything you read. We want you to question everything. Question the media. You know, question the media the way the media should be questioning the government. You know, they should be investigating the government, and now you have to investigate the media, right? You have to investigate the reporters. You have to be the one to fact-check the fact-checkers, and that sounds crazy, but I think that's where we're at, and, you know, one of the things that I want to close with is, for anyone that's listening that hasn't read 1984 by George Orwell, you need to read it. And read it soon. And I know everyone talks about 1984 and everyone talks about Orwellian and everyone likes to throw away or throw out terms, you know, because they, they think they understand what 1984 is about. And I'll confess that before I read it, I kind of assumed that 1984 referenced an extreme, you know, surveillance state, you know, maybe something like the Soviet Union. And then I read the book. And then I realized what 1984 was really about. It was about controlling people. It was about changing the narrative. 
it was about control. And that's what Big Brother wanted. Big Brother wanted control. And Big Brother wanted you to think the way that he wanted you to think. And it was deeper than that because Big Brother wanted the people not just to say that they thought or not just to say they believed in what he said. He wanted a system where people truly deep down believed what they were told with all their heart. And in 2020, because our media is digital, things can be changed. Things can be edited. Websites can be taken down. Right? Websites can be changed. News stories can be changed. And that was one of the really interesting things in 1984 was that they talk about how the media would write a story and then Big Brother would make a speech that contradicted what the original story was. And lo and behold, the Ministry of Truth would go back and edit the stories and make the story coincide and corroborate what Big Brother said. And I fear that in 2020, that's where we're at. I fear that we have politicians, when it comes to immigration at least, that will say whatever they want, and the media will back them up. And the media will write stories to reinforce what the politicians say. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to keep track of all of the media that's out there. Because while you can edit websites and you can take down information, it still can be recorded. However, it seems to me that in 2020, the way that they're getting around people keeping track of old stories is they just come up with a new story to inflame people and to reinforce what the politicians are saying. So do your research. Always be aware that you're being manipulated. And in the case of immigration, when you don't control the borders and you don't enforce immigration law, people get harmed. People get killed. Children get molested. And the media focuses on the illegal aliens a hundred times more than they focus on the American citizens that are harmed by lack of immigration enforcement. And that's absolutely horrendous. You know, no one ever talks about all the people that were killed. It's always about the aliens that don't get the right amount of food or that don't have a court hearing in the proper amount of time. And that's important, but it's not as important as keeping track of the people that are harmed by our lack of enforcement. And not only our lack of enforcement, in some states it's the interference of enforcement of our immigration laws. And that's not a racial thing, like a lot of people want you to believe. That's the truth. And I'll close with this, just to say that we have an immigration system and the system can't function when it's overwhelmed. And the system is overwhelmed because we have tolerated uncontrolled illegal immigration for too long. And we reward people for breaking the law. 
we reward people for coming here illegally. And because our system is so overwhelmed, we have to detain people for extended periods of time. And it almost makes it worse because now people know that when they come here illegally, they're going to be in the system for five years, for 10 years, whatever it may be. And now when they're, at, when they're in that system, it creates the opportunity for stories like the one we started with, you know, about the hysterectomies. You know, we shouldn't be detaining illegal aliens for years at a time. They shouldn't be in custody long enough to require serious medical care because they have no legal right to be here, right? Now, if you are here legally, that's a different story because you should be entitled to a proper hearing. You should be entitled to a judge because if you have done everything right and the government is trying to remove you from the country, then you should be entitled to those protections. But for someone who's here illegally without papers and without permission, the system needs to change because we're going to hear more stories about malpractice and we're going to hear more stories about you know, women getting hysterectomies, chances are they're probably not going to be true, but it still won't prevent the media from acting like they're true and running with the story as long as they can, you know, until it's, it's disproven. So I'll leave you with that for tonight. Uh, Don should be able to record again here on the next episode. So I, again, want to close with an apology. Our schedule got a little interrupted but as everyone knows, California is a disaster, and with all the fires and everything else, it's been difficult to, uh, to sit down and record, but everything seems to be calming down a little bit, so we should be, be able to get back to our, our regular schedule here in the near future, hopefully with the next episode. So with that, I will sign off. I want to say thank you for listening. Please check out the show notes, and we will see you next time on the Untold Immigration Podcast. Have a good night, everybody. I'll see you later.